0: Thanks for tuning in. I'm Joel Amadon. And I'm Ann Monroe. And this is The Road to Better Teaching, a podcast series where we discuss stories of teacher development. We're back at it.
1: Awesome. Looking forward to it. We've got a special guest today.
0: Special guest, Savannah. Savannah, how are you?
1: Hey, I'm doing good.
0: And thank you for being willing to come on to the yeah. podcast and to share some of your uh, stories of teacher development. Uh, well, one of your stories, at least. So, could you give a little bit of introduction about who you are?
2: Yeah. So, I'm Savannah Armstead. I'm from Columbia, Missouri, and I'm an elementary ed major, but I'm also in the Mississippi Excellence in Teaching Program. So, uh, I'm indebted to the state of Mississippi for five <laughs> <That's>, years after <laughs> I graduate.
0: That's right.
2: It's, it's exciting, though.
0: Yeah, and we'll put a link to the uh, Mississippi Excellence in Teaching Program Um I mean, I guess maybe just what are some of the highlights, I guess, from the Mississippi Excellence Teaching Program so far um, for you?
2: So I guess, like, my favorite thing that we've ever done, we went, we, me and Dr. Monroe went and studied abroad in Finland, Sweden, and Denmark this summer. Um, it was all paid for. amazing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that was great. Uh, but we really got to see, like, how the schools are set up in these different countries and, like, what they implement to make their school system, like, so incredible. Um, so that was a really eye-opening experience. But atop, on top of that, like, I made, like, the best friends I've ever had, you know, in METP. We've gotten to know each other throughout all four years, and uh, we had classes together. And so um, it's just this tight-knit little cohort that you can't really get just in a regular teaching program. Um, so, yeah, I, I love it.
0: Nice. It love. is
1: a great group of students, just fantastic um, group. And I like uh, Savannah said, I got to travel with them. Uh, This summer, and um, knew them from courses, but got to know them even better, and just a great group of um, young people that are going to commit to five years teaching in Mississippi and do great things.
0: Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and as a uh, beneficiary of having you in class, I can say that it's it's been a pleasure. So, uh, so well, first the first part of your journey is about your own experience in classrooms. So could you start us off by thanking three teachers who have shaped your development as a person?
2: Yeah. So uh, I guess my first one was my kindergarten teacher, Miss Rowe. She's like incredible. I I had severe anxiety going into kindergarten. And so I would cry every single day before school. And she would spend an extra 30 minutes walking through the whole schedule with me. Every single day, just because I just had so much anxiety about school. Uh, so she was great. She was awesome. And it kind of goes into my topic I'm going to talk about a little bit later. So she she's great. Um, and then Miss Johnson, she was my high school English teacher. Um, but she also taught journalism. And so before wanting to be an education major, major, I wanted to go into journalism, like, really bad. I was the editor of my yearbook. I wrote for my newspaper. Um, and you'll learn a little bit later that I had, like, a big, big event happened in high school and she was like super invested in me and like wanted to make sure that I was thriving even through like this major life event. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, she was awesome. And then I had another high school history teacher, um, Mr. Devro, and he, he really encouraged me to leave Missouri like our small little town of Missouri not small really it's a college town but everyone knows each other and so it's kind of hard to get out of that cycle so he really encouraged me to you know go do my own thing and go be a teacher somewhere else and like go learn and like meet new people and get diverse ideas um so that was that was someone who was really supportive of me so I really appreciate those three
0: nice very good um so what about two reasons or events that led you to become a teacher
2: Yeah, so kind of like how I was talking about my major life event, um, I have four adopted siblings that were in foster care, and I have a biological brother too, but um, I was a junior in high school when they came, and it kind of, it happened like really overnight. Like all of a sudden, my mom was like, they're very distantly related to us, like, like my mom's second cousin, twice removed, you know, just very distant. But they were like, they're going to get split up in foster care if someone in the family doesn't take them. And we were like, obviously, we just felt called, and we were like, we need to do this. Um, So we quickly became a foster family in like a week, and they came into our house, and we kind of shifted everything around. Um, But they had experienced severe, 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 severe abuse and neglect, and it impacted everything that they did, everything that we had to experience growing up in high school and middle school. Well, my brother was in middle school. Um, and so it was really difficult for us. But the first thing that made me kind of think, hmm, maybe like, I need to be a teacher instead of going into journalism was the fact that a teacher was the one who reported the abuse Mm. was the first one who noticed it. Um, My little sister, she was in kindergarten at time; she was five years old and she came in with a black eye. And my teacher was the one who was like, something's wrong here. Like we probably need to check this out. Um, And so when I learned that I kind of dove more into like, how can I be an advocate for kids who have experienced trauma through school. Um, so I began to learn more about it and I toured Ole Miss and found the Mississippi Excellence in Teaching program. I was like, wow, like maybe I should be a teacher. Like I could really make a difference for kids and be that support. Cause you know, like school's the one place that they can feel safe sometimes. Mm -hmm. And the sometimes the one place they can get food. And so having their basic needs being met was super important to me. So that's kind of like the foundation for where I was like maybe I should become a teacher, um, but that plays a huge role in my development as a teacher and like who I am today.
0: So, wow, yeah. Um, so that leads to our thinking about what's a mile marker, a moment of your own professional growth uh, on your road to better teaching. What, what would you, what would you mark? What, what, what's the event? What's the moment that we would plant that mile marker?
2: Yeah. So. I um, I discovered, like, the important need for structure and routine for kids who've experienced trauma, and honestly, just younger kids in general. They need consistent structure and routine. So in one of my classes, we created an entire classroom management plan, and while I was making it, I was like, oh my gosh, I can pinpoint exact things that I need to do to relieve some anxiety and fear and stress that kids have so my um My, like, artifact that I use to represent my mile marker of, like, my teaching is this classroom management plan. Um, So, in this plan, we had to make, like, a mission and vision statement for our classroom. But then we also had to, like, talk about some preventative measures, procedures, and, like, routines and expectations, positive behavioral supports and consequences, and then, like, how you're going to communicate with the parents. Um, So... Yeah, it's just really important to me that kids have structure and routine because for my siblings, they were living in constant fear at home. And so their anxiety and their adrenaline was constantly firing and they were living living in the state of like, I don't know what's going to happen to me next. So the classroom is the one place where you can make a safe and secure environment for these kids like they know the expectations up front you help them make the rules of the classroom you let them have some sort of like control and choice and like what they do um and so they know what to expect every day and you've built those relationships and the trust with parents and your students um so that way they can feel secure and it's predictable and you're meeting that basic need of like they need structure, routine, consistency, a teacher who loves and supports them and builds that connection before you can ever expect to do anything academic with them.
0: I Man, I think you're you're sitting in the wheelhouse of Dr. Monroe, like, thinking about the social emotional health. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Dr. Mm-hmm. Monroe, you probably have a, a number of things to comment
1: yeah, on. Yeah, and I think, too, a, a couple of things I want to, and I want to ask you a question as well um, for information, but one thing, you're talking about this importance of structure that, and you mentioned, like, everybody needs structure and people thrive on structure what is it that in a classroom setting that that structure and consistency and routine gives to students um that promotes what you want to see in a classroom what is it what do you think it what does it help facilitate i think we know we need it but what is it where do you see the benefits in a classroom
2: yeah so I like have actually seen it in my student teaching observation right now. Like I was previously in a teacher who had no classroom management and like didn't have the rules posted. And like every day was kind of a fly on the seat of our pants. We're just Mm going to like go. And she's just yelling at the kids and their their behavior was all over the place. Like they didn't know what to expect. Their anxiety levels were raised throughout the day. So that triggers behavior like I mean, if you don't have consistency and routine and structure and expectations, you know, like they're going to get triggered super easy and then behavior is going to outburst and it leads to this cycle of like, I'm yelling at you because your behavior is bad, but then you're yelling at me. So I'm going to act out more. and it's More just, adrenaline,
1: more stress. Yes, yeah. more stress.
2: Um, but I recently got moved to a new student teacher and she is just incredible. Like she has like multiple forms of classroom management, external and like internal motivation. And she helped the kids make the classroom rules at the beginning of the year. And it's like very obvious that she has a good rapport with her students and like has taken the time to build that trust and see where their needs need to be at before creating her classroom, like, routine and structure. Um, And she can be very gentle with them, but then she can be, like, stern with them, too, like, hey, I expect this from you. Um, And they automatically snap back into what they're supposed to be doing because she's built those foundations and created this environment where they know what they need to be doing. Um, So back to your point, it just really shows that structure and consistency and just giving love to these kids and grace really makes a world of difference when it comes to like teaching academic content because they are more likely to be engaged their behavior is not going to get in the way of like what they're learning Um, and they're just excited to be there and excited to learn and they don't dread going to school they're excited for it Um, so that's super important and I think I've seen it in multiple different aspects in the classroom and out of the classroom.
1: Yeah. And I think like just what you're saying, Savannah, that structure, it takes time and effort for the teacher to put the structure in place and teach the procedures and the routines. But what it does is it creates that structure, creates all of this open space, almost like a literal structure creates this open space in the middle for on task, you know, for, Mm -hmm. for the content for on task uh, behavior and focusing on the what um, the curriculum and what you're teaching. So the structure provides mm-hmm. open, free space, free, free space in the head, free mm-hmm. space in the uh, in the heart. You know, you don't, you're not, you're calm. You know what's expected yeah. of you, and you know what you're supposed to be doing. And so it creates time and space to concentrate on the academic material, ah. which is excellent. But it does take time up front yeah. to build the relationship, to build the trust, to put the structures in place, to teach the routines and procedures but, like you mentioned earlier, it's part of human nature. We humans strive with structure and routine, and it's just, you know, building on what we already desire mm-hmm. as a human being and and what a lot of kids aren't getting in other places in their lives, like you said. Yeah, I have another question. Yeah, Just for Savannah, based on the experiences that you talked about with your siblings, um, it's something that's always bothered me the way people um, talk about children uh, who've experienced, um, trauma, it, it, all sorts of trauma in their life. And it's just always bothered me uh, because I see it in a different way. And I want to see what you think and see if you see it, you know, how you see it and hopefully it help inform me. But it's always bothered me when people say that kids are resilient um, because I think they do it to dismiss, to, to sort of say, well, it's, they're kids, they'll get over it they you know they're resilient that word resiliency seems to be a positive word but to me the way that people use it with children it's almost dismissive of um the impact that things have had on the kids and the long the long term mm-hmm. struggle that some some children have with things that happen to them at a young age uh when i think of resiliency i think of a sponge that when you push the sponge down it pops right back up and you can't tell yeah. that there's 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 been no harm done yeah but to me, when kid, kids to me are not resilient, they're survivors yeah. and being a survivor is different in a way um, and I think if we if we can see children as survivors, we see um, the importance of making sure that they're okay because there can be long-term ramifications for what happens to kids but also we see them as courageous and. Um, uh, you know, a, able to um, make good out of things that have been bad that have happened to them. So I don't know how you feel. Like, it's always just bothered me mm-hmm. when people say, oh, but don't worry about it. Kids are resilient. And that just eats me alive because I say, no, they're survivors. Yeah. And because they're so powerless in so many situations that they're so brave and powerful in their bravery, but it's because they survive and they yeah. they figure yeah. out how to survive. Can you talk a little bit about, does that word bother you? Do yes. you, do you see what, I mean, am, am I maybe not thinking of it in the right way? I, like, honestly, I've never even thought about it like that, but
2: it's so true. And like, I could talk about this all day. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, we've had these, the kids were in foster care for two years, my siblings, and then we've had, we And on December 9th, it'll be three years of them being adopted into our family. Um, But it's taken five years to even get where we are. And there's still so much growth, like, that they they need support with, you know. Um, Because they were all in elementary school when they came. So it was kindergarten, second, and third grade. And then I believe Natalie was in sixth grade. Um, But, like, Natalie, she's in sixth grade. When she was a kid, she was 10 years old, making sure the kids got ready for school because the parents right. weren't there. She was stealing food from the cafeteria to bring home for dinner. Like She learned all these survival techniques, and then she can't remember basic math facts. She doesn't know how to comprehend stories, like, right. and that's affecting her into high school now. She's a junior in high school, about to take the ACT, and she can't do it because the trauma has left so much damage on her brain and like it's hard because people will look at us and say you will never know that anything happened to them like they're completely different kids but in our family we see it every day still the impacts five years later of behavior like a perfect example is One of my brothers, every time that we see his great-grandma, he comes to school, gets suspended. Like,
1: Mm -hmm. and it's just,
2: they've built this, like, idea of him that he's a bad kid. Like, he just, whatever, he's all over the place. I mean, that was always his reputation growing up because his behavior was all due, like, all correlating to things happen at home. But no one, like, dove deeper into that, I guess. Um, But now, even now... He still gets suspended. He's a great kid. He does good in school five years later. But if he sees his great-grandma or, like, the biological mom, like, something will happen at school. And so, you know, resiliency is just a weird word to me because you're so right. Like, people can dismiss it as... Oh, they've moved on from what's happened to them. Right. They're in a good place now, so nothing's affecting
1: them. Unaffected is well. Yeah. to me, it's almost like a synonym for unaffected, which is not at all. Yeah.
2: Oh, they lived through this experience? Oh, that really sucks. But they're good now. Like, they're right. in a good family. But it's like, me and my brother talk a lot about this. My biological brother, because we, we've seen them, like, grow up mm-hmm. with us. And my parents, too, my parents are awesome, like, obviously. But it's really about... The consistency. I mean, if have we not given them, like, love and support and consistency and structure? Like, they wouldn't get to where we are, but that doesn't mean it's still over, right. if that makes sense. Right. yeah, yeah. And especially in schools, too. Like, you never know what's going on at home. Mm-hmm. And they are survivors, like, but they will have to continue being survivors the rest of their life. How do you
1: think that your interactions with your siblings, uh, other than the your... Um, uh, being attuned to the structure that you talked about, what other ways do you think that um, getting to know your siblings and living with them and seeing um, sort of their change and that kind of thing, how how, are you, how is that going to affect your teaching? What are you going to do differently as a teacher because of that experience other than the structure that you mentioned? What yeah. How else are you going to approach teaching in a different way that has been informed by by your siblings?
2: So... Uh, right now on my thesis I'm actually working on creating like a college course that's based around trauma-informed education for future teachers um, that is something that I'm Hello. very passionate yeah. about there we go <laughs> <laughs> um, me and dr Platt working really hard on that one um, I just think it's so important we've only had one classroom management course in our time as you know future educators uh, but I am a really big advocate for getting Future Educators Trauma-Informed. And so basically just learning about the brain, how it functions from a young age, and then meeting kids like where they are is so important. And I think a lot of times we can get caught up in teaching content, but elementary students are learning how to become humans and how to yes. interact with people. And kids who have experienced trauma don't know how to make connections like they're always on the defensive like I need to survive I need to defend myself like I don't care if I'm throwing you under the bus because I need to not get in trouble because I'm gonna get hurt when I go home right, right like right it's just all these little connections and so having teachers or future educators know that like why it's so important to know if kids have experienced trauma and then how to better support them in the classroom through social emotional learning how to build connections with other students how to become friends with people you don't have to kick them or like to be defensive like you're in a safe space where you can like be yourself and not have to be on the defensive so. Like, creating a classroom environment that's focused around positive behavioral inter- interventions. Like, not being so quick to send them to the principal's office right. whenever they get in trouble. Like, trying to find out the deeper meaning behind behavior is super important, especially for kids who have experienced trauma. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you my pocket-sized philosophy Fantastic. on this. Like, going into that. So, I really based these theories around that in my philosophy. Um, So I promise to support the academic, social, and emotional needs of every student by implementing a culture of empathy, positivity, and kindness in a safe and loving classroom environment. So a lot of this goes towards Being super empathetic with my students and having discipline that is not so quick to anger, like getting to understand why behavior is happening, how to de-escalate it, and then what we can do moving forward to help better better that student and help them to become a better human.
0: Can you read it one more time? Yeah.
2: I promise to support the academic, social, and emotional needs of every student by implementing a culture of empathy, positivity, and kindness in a safe and loving classroom environment.
0: What's cool is I think, you know, if Dr. Monroe and I sat here and, like, given what you just said, what could we have named? What are some key words? We could have named some key words that would have definitely shown up in that pocket sized philosophy statement, right? Given like the action like like the the stances that you have, the actions that you're already committed to, to that you talked about there, and like seeing it in a condensed form. And, and, and like and that's what we want. That's like you what you carry with you to help you make decisions and like what what's what. It, what is that? Con- yeah, that condensed version of what you believe and what you do is right there in that statement. I don't know. That's that kind of cool.
1: Yeah. And I'll also say to uh, Savannah, when you get into a classroom and you and you're hired as a teacher, make sure not to lose that philosophy. Like I know people talk about, oh, we have these young teachers who are so idealistic and like that's a bad thing. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. I think you have to be an idealist and a realist at the same time as a teacher. You have to hold both of those seemingly contradictory things um, in the palm of your hands at the mm-hmm. same time. And you can have a classroom that's exactly what you want your classroom to be like. It may be more challenging than you may have thought, but it doesn't mean it can't happen. And so I think that's a really important for young teachers to who have a goal in mind about what you want your classroom to look like, feel like, um, that that can happen. It can be a reality. If you put it on paper, it can be a reality. It's that you have to persevere to make it mm-hmm. so. And that uh, I think sometimes people aren't, are, are in a little bit of shock about the perseverance needed to do it when they first start teaching because there's so many things that come at you as a young teacher and realities of the classroom and the job paperwork all sorts of things that are on you but it doesn't mean that it can't happen and so what we need are people who are willing to persevere to make the ideal happen because we're dealing with children and they deserve the ideal mm-hmm. um, uh, we have to be realistic but we have to keep the ideal in mind because it's what they deserve so i just you know i think i, I love your pocket size philosophy um and i think it's exactly what we need in schools we need more of in schools um, because like you said on the outset, when you have a classroom environment like that, you're going to have a high level of learning and you can have high expectations for learning with a wonderful supportive mm-hmm. environment like that. Yeah.
0: So I, I know we're, we're trying to make sure we're managing our time well here. And so looking at the, the standards, I mean, I, I think I'm guessing... Well, what what do you identify that you have this thing the in task
2: uh, standard three yeah
0: I mean the, like the uh,
2: learning environments yeah
0: yeah which says the teacher works with others to create environments that support individual and collaborative learning that encourage positive social interaction active engagement in learning and self motivation I mean definitely there uh, I mean maybe even thinking about learner development but I mean definitely this idea of creating this learning environment mm-hmm. um, and then just I guess one final thing is like, we like to think about, uh, cause I think we answered all these questions here, like thinking about other resources and things that come to mind. Mm-hmm. I know that Dr. Monroe will have some, and I got one that's okay. from our own school of ed. Yes. I think the, Dr. Lusk and Dr. Perryman talking about the mental health first aid. Yes, you're know, thinking mm-hmm. about like how many kids go to the nurse for a band aid, but then somehow also thinking about like, well, what do we, what are some things as teachers that can do to, you know, have some you talked about trauma informed instruction. Yeah, yeah, trauma informed instruction. But even thinking about this this idea of mental health first aid, I'm curious. They're offering trainings and things. But I know Dr. Monroe, you've got lots more. Yeah, that's a to really mention. good
1: uh, one that's being talked about right now in the school of ed yep. and uh, training being an off offered. Um, but also Savannah, when you were talking about your um, the way that you're going to approach classroom management and the way that you see is the best approach for classroom management, it's and we've talked about this on the podcast before but Becky Bailey's conscious discipline you're basically describing it Um, and it's it's not a punitive approach it's a approach of teaching and self-regulation and support and um, positive reinforcement and it's not punitive and Mm -hmm. it's not controlling students Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you know if you're interested in in reading a particular classroom management approach that is exactly what you described. Becky Bailey's conscious discipline is a really good one to look uh, toward. A lot of people that work with um, early childhood think of Becky Bailey, but she's got whole systems uh, with conscious discipline all the way up through high school. And so it's a great, um, her work, and you can get all sorts of um, resources if you just Google conscious discipline. We'll put
0: some links in the show notes. Yeah, we'll
1: put some links in the show notes to some, of her books and, and resources, but, um, and you might be interested in looking at that because yeah. it's basically what you described. Uh, and it's having students teaching them about, um, how to, con- uh, how to, um, control their own behaviors and make good choices. And, uh, it's not about controlling kids. It's yeah. about teaching and growing. And i also, liked you said, um, about every behavior has a need. I think there was, there's, there's yeah. a need there. And I think that's really, really important. Um, To think about those, those, you know, what a behavior happens because there's a need that hasn't been met. Yeah. And what is that need? Uh, And it's our responsibility as teachers to make sure that that need is met.
2: Yeah, I'll plug this book for that yes. I love for nice. teachers. I think all teachers need to read this. Uh, it's called The Boy Who's Raised as a Dog by Bruce Perry. Um, he's He's awesome. He's like the psychologist that has just like a ton of case studies that he's done compiled into this book. And so each chapter like follows a kid who's experienced some form of trauma. But then it talks directly to educators and like psychologists about how they can, you know, inform instruction or like how they can be more empathetic to these kinds of kids. So it's just like a great guide. And it really changed my perspective on a lot of things. Um, it also has like charts of like brain development and stuff like that. So I think every educator should read this book.
0: Awesome. Right? Yeah. We'll put a link to that too. So thank you Savannah for sharing a mile marker on your road to better teaching.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, and thanks to all of you out there listening and for tuning in to The Road road to Better Teaching. This episode may be over, but The Road to Better Teaching never ends. So please subscribe to the podcast so you're notified when the next episode is ready for a listen. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review the podcast.
0: You can also share the podcast with someone you feel may be interested in these stories of teacher development. That's helped so other people can find this content. Also, if you want to find out any of the links that are any of the resources that we mentioned here, you can check out the show notes for this episode at RoadToBetterTeaching.com. Finally, thank you to all of you listeners out there for taking the Road to Better Teaching. This world is a better place because you have used the gifts you have been given to teach others. This Road to Better Teaching podcast is an Amadon Planet production.